We pointed out that our enemies, Satan, will often use the same kind of tactics that Goliath used, trying to create doubt, trying to create fear and to intimidate us. And last week we saw this young man, David, who was probably somewhere between the ages of 16 to 19 years old. So if you're in that age range, you know, you can do awesome things for God. You don't have to wait until you're an old man like your dad or mom. <laughs> um, but he came to that battlefield on the orders of his dad to deliver food to his brothers who were in the army. But while he was there, he saw this giant come out and defy the army. But not just the army of Israel. He was defying God. And David just could not stand by and watch this without saying or doing something. And we also learned that when we take a stand for God, there are many times we're going to be attacked. We're going to be belittled. We're going to be ostracized because the world does not agree with us about who Jesus is. Today, we're going to focus on five smooth stones. And isn't it neat? I have five smooth stones up here that uh, if, if I see somebody that's sleeping, you know, I've been practicing all week about how to throw one of these things. No, I wouldn't do that to you. But uh, David was a lot more accurate than I was with his sling. But uh, he picked these five stones for uh, the battle. He didn't feel comfortable using the weapons that other soldiers would be using. He used what he knew, a sling and some stones. So I, I read a story about uh, a preacher who actually was up around Norfolk and uh, he was in Norfolk General Hospital uh, one day. His name was Dr. Hugh Litchfield. And he heard his name being called from across the lobby. And as the man approached, he said, uh, Hi, Dr. Litchfield, remember me? Uh, well, Dr. Litchfield may not have remembered him. It had been 10 years that, since he had seen the young man. Um, but uh, he was facing possible jail time uh, over tax violations. Uh, this had led him to some alcohol dependency, which had in turn jeopardized his marriage and his relationship with his children. And his life was just in desperate shape. Boy, I tell you what, the devil don't want me to do this today, does he? <laughs> turn those phones off, folks. I turned mine off, okay? Uh, his life was just in desperate shape. Dr. Litchfield explained this interaction in his book, Visualizing the Sermon. He said, he then said to me in that lobby, I want to thank you. Well, what for? One Sunday, you preached a sermon about taking responsibility for our own lives, not to blame what we become on somebody else. God used that sermon to speak to me. And that afternoon, I got down on my knees and I prayed to God and promised to take responsibility for my life, and I want to thank you. With God's help, I did. And since that time, life has been great. I got out of trouble with the IRS. I became the master over the bottle. And my marriage is better than ever. And as he left me standing there, Dr. Litchfield writes, I was overwhelmed by what he had told me. 
When I went back to the office, I dug down into my sermon files to get out that sermon that had meant so much to him. Early in my ministry on Monday mornings, I would jot down a phrase or two on the top of my sermon manuscripts as to how I felt the sermon had gone that Sunday. And for that sermon, I glanced at what I had written. Dead in the water. (laughs) Like right now. (laughs) No one listened. A waste of time. That's what he felt. And Dr. Litchfield concludes, I've learned something along the way. If we offer faithfully to God what we have, somehow it will be used in magnificent ways. We must never underestimate what God will do with what we give. Now, I know that feeling, you know, you work hard on a sermon, you you preach that sermon, and you feel like at the end of the day, like, man, I just don't know if I got through. It just felt like I didn't have the energy. Uh, It just felt horrible. You know, nobody listened. And many times it's in those sermons where you think it's a total dud that somebody will come up and say, wow, I really needed that. And you're like, you needed that? (laughs) You see, if, if you're anything like me, it can be tempting to think that what we have to offer is inadequate. We may look at other people's lives and we may wish that we had what they have, that we had their talent, that we had their resources, that we had their looks. It's enticing to believe that if you had a better paying job, a different zip code, or a bigger house, that you would finally be able to serve God in the ways that both you and God want. This condition is not unique to me. I think it's something that most people feel. And it's something that many of us understand all too well. This is a human condition that goes all the way back to the beginning. We know David was chosen by God. In the chapter just before 1 Samuel 17, David was chosen and anointed to be the next king. And God chose David on that day to take a stand for God. And with God's help, he defeated Goliath in battle with only five smooth stones and a sling. Now, there were certain things David did to make his effort successful. And if we can understand what David did, I think we'll be better equipped to defeat the giants in our own lives as well. So here's the big idea today. I want you to listen to it very carefully. Use the tools you already have, and God will bring the victory over the giants you face. You've already got what you need. God has already provided it. All you got to do is be faithful with it. So let's pray. Father, please help me take my eyes off of everyone else what they have, what they do, and simply focus on what you've already given me to work with. Give me faith and give me courage. Please give me victory as I head into this coming week. And I pray this for all of us today, Father. Now I pray you will use this message today to help each one of us to see the potential that you have already provided. You are the one who has given us the tools we have. You created us. You gave us our character. You gave us our personality.
Help us to trust you with them. Help us to be faithful in the use of those tools, but not believe that it is all up to us to achieve the victory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I want us to start today by looking at a scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you've ever wondered whether God has ever given you a gift, listen, this answers the question. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. And all these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. So let's be clear. The Bible tells us that all of us have been given gifts, at least one, right? And it's not up to us to decide which ones we have. The Holy Spirit makes that decision and how God is uh, going to try to use that in our lives and in the world as a whole. That's that's what we have to do in life is try to figure out how am I going to use what God has given me to serve Him and to help others. How differently this story of David would have gone if he had spent his time envying those who were around him. If he had spent his time thinking about what, uh, these are real fighters, I'm just a shepherd. Or that's real armor, I don't have any. Or even looking at Goliath and considering his physical strength and thinking to himself, there's no way I could ever stand against that. What if he went into battle with that heavy armor that he wasn't used to wearing. And instead, David was focused on what he had. And in this case, it was five smooth stones. Who's sleeping out there? I'm fine. And he had a sling. So let's go to our text in 1 Samuel 17. David said to Saul, now David has come to Saul, and he says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine Your servant will go and fight him. Now, David, remember, 16 to 19, he's not in the army. He's not a fighter. Saul was a big man. He was chosen to be king because he was one of the greatest warriors they ever had. And Saul looks at David and he says, you're not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant, has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear come and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. 
because he has defied the armies of the living God. And the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. You know, Saul should have been the one going out to fight, but he was too afraid. Then, verse 38, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried to walk around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. And so he took them off. And then he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the stream and he put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and with a sling in hand he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. And he looked David over and he saw that he was little more than a boy <clears throat> glowing with health and handsome and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army uh, uh, the, to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that this is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attacking, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. And reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. And so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it from its sheath, and he killed him. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. And when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and they ran. Man, that, that's one of the greatest stories in, in, the, in all of Scripture. And I want to focus on just three specific things regarding God's calling on David's life to fight Goliath. I believe each of these things are really crucial to our own lives and our ability to have victory. And as we seek to understand God's call and His will and the giftedness that God has given us each day, and He's given it to every one of us, and the first thing I think we need to do is to block out the white noise. Now, at the beginning of the passage, David declared that he would go and he would fight Goliath. But as soon as he said this, did you notice how Saul responded? Saul's like, hey, you can't go. You're not able to do that. You're just a little kid. 
You know, we, we can't send you out to fight this giant. It sounds like a voice that would hold you back, right? If the king is saying, hey, you don't have what it takes. After all, Saul was not just a king, but he was a real warrior. He'd been fighting longer than David been alive. He should know. And you might remember when David came out there, his own brothers sort of turned on him and rejected him. Sometimes, and I think we need to know this, sometimes the experts are wrong. Sometimes the experts are wrong. Now last week we talked about those who would try to hold us back and look down upon us. And there are many in our lives that regardless of what we do will, will try to keep us from where we need to go. That will often come in the form of doubt, similar to what 1 Timothy says, as we referred last week, Saul seemed to be looking down on David because of his youth and his inexperience. Now, what was David supposed to do with all of this? I mean, his brothers had misjudged his motives. Others simply ignored him. And Saul didn't think he had any chance at success. But to David, this was all just white noise in the midst of God's clear call and command. You know, white noise is that type of noise that is produced by combining sounds of all different frequencies together. I, I don't know if you've ever been in a big crowd where so many people are talking that you can't make out anything anybody's saying. And unless you really focus in on the person you're trying to listen to, it can all be garbled in our head. That's sort of what white noise is. And you see, in a spiritual sense, there will be many voices around us begging us for airtime into our life. And if you aren't careful, you can get bogged down and overwhelmed by all of that. And this is why it's so important that we learn to discern God's voice from other voices. Did you hear that? you got to hear God's voice. Even when all these other voices are telling you something, you need to focus in on that one voice that matters most. We have to learn how to sort through all the different voices in our life. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can do that. Now, that requires us to ask some questions as we're hearing all these things from all these different places. Listen to some of these questions. Jot them down in your bulletin so that you don't forget them. Does this voice actually care about me? Is this a godly voice? Does this voice hold wisdom? And is this voice in agreement with Scripture? Is this voice encouraging me to follow the Holy Spirit? Now, these are important questions. It's questions like these that help us discern which voices we ultimately listen to and trust. Let me tell you something, friends. If that voice that you're listening to is saying, you know what, you deserve to be happy. You're not happy in your marriage right now. Your spouse really isn't treating you the way that you deserve to be treated. 
And there's this other voice over here that seems so nice, and they seem so encouraging, and they're so different from that spouse. You deserve to be happy, so you go and you have a relationship with this other person so that you can be happy. Now let me ask you something. Is that the voice of God? Do you know whether that is the voice of God or not? Well, you ought to, because God's voice would never call you to commit adultery or to sin. Any voice that tells you that you need alcohol or drugs to soothe your inner pain or your demons, friend, that is not the voice of God. It's not. Any voice that tells you to strike back at some person or to hurt that person or to make them pay for the pain that they've caused you, that is not the voice of God. Or if that voice tells you to run and hide when your faith is challenged and it seems like the whole world and culture are against you, friend, that is not the voice of God because the voice of God is found in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and goodness, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. Any voice that calls you away from any of those things listed as a part of the fruit of the Spirit is not the voice of God. And you're not stupid. I'm sorry, that might not be a word I should use. You're not ignorant. That's, that's a real good word. You know what the voice of God is. All you have to do is compare what that voice is telling you to what God has already told you in his word. Amen? Amen. In David's life and story, it is clear from the next verse that he was able to shake off the words from Saul and, and, and the other people and focus on what was God, God was inviting him to do. In verse 34, just looking at that again, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. So David was able to look, look, the lion or the bear came after me. And if they took off a sheep, I wasn't going to let them just go. I followed them. I went and I struck it down. I rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned to attack me, I seized it by its hair and I struck it and killed it. Now these words just give you confidence. David was so focused on the task at hand. Now some might call it arrogance. But I believe that his confidence was not in himself. It was in God. You see, David's bravado came from past experience as a shepherd in the wilderness. He had seen God deliver him time and time again from wild beasts, and he had no doubt that God would do it again in this present situation, which reminds us that we must remember where you've been. Remember where you've been. There's so many stories in the Bible of individuals being prepared for what was in their future by their present circumstances and suffering. You think of Joseph, for example, in Genesis. He was falsely imprisoned in a foreign land, yet he ended up in the Egyptian palace. How, how does that happen? God was clearly 
on the move through Joseph's story, whether others could see it or not. I don't think Joseph could even see it at times. The story of Joseph concludes with these powerful words that reveal God's work in his life and in his story. In Genesis 50, when Joseph finally reveals who he is to his brothers, he says to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God was with Joseph all along, just as God was with David all along. And the reality is that same God is with you all the way through. Whatever you deal with, whatever you're going through, God is there and he can use that to help you one day in the future to help somebody else. God is with you. No matter what, he's in your story. Even in the seasons when you can't feel it, God is with you. So even today, maybe the first step in learning to understand God's call upon your life is by looking backwards, thinking about all the times that God helped you through a situation. The older we are, right, those of you that are over 60, the older we are, the more experience we have. The younger we are, maybe we don't have that experience, but even David, 16 to 19, had enough experience to know God is with me. And there's a, con a consistent and constant command in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, to remember. In Deuteronomy 8, 2, we read, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what is in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Remembering where he, we have been is meant to give us strength and confidence in where we are now. Seeing God at work in and through our past gives us strength and confidence for whatever we face today. And as we stand in that confidence, we can say like David did in verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. When David held his hands and his, what David held in his hands and his heart was the collective memory of all that God had done. And before he ever picked up those stones and put that stone in that sling, he had already carried the memories of deliverance and triumph in his young life. So you can see in the story that when Saul tried to weigh David down with that new armor and sword, David would have none of it. You know why? Because he had all that he needed. Everything he needed, he already had. He didn't need all these weapons of man. He didn't need what Saul would have fought with. David was trusting in another source of power. He was going to be God's instrument. 
We look back to verse 38 of the text and we see that where Saul tried to dress David with this coat of armor and a bronze helmet and how David tried to put that sword on his hip, you know, where he could carry it. And he said, I can't go out in these because I'm not used to them. And he took them off. And then he went out and he got the things that he was accustomed to. He had his staff. He grabbed some stones out of the stream bed and he carried his sling. And I, I love how this text shows us David trying to fit into the mold of a proper soldier. You know, fitted with all that equipment. If it wasn't such a serious situation, I imagine it would have been laughable, right? Seeing David trying to get around with all of that stuff. Thankfully, he quickly recognized that that new outfit wasn't going to work out for him in battle. He was just as he arrived sufficiently prepared to face Goliath. He didn't need all that extra stuff. In fact, it would have just hindered him. I know at times I have thought that I would be a better preacher if I could be more like some of those other well-known preachers. And there are preachers who... You know, they memorize their sermons every week. Um, I, I've read some books by some preachers who said, hey, you know, if you, you really love God and love people and, you know, you're really serious, you've got to memorize your sermons. I've never done that. I've had people in church tell me, you'd be better if you memorize scriptures. Not scriptures, but your sermon. And, and I'm guessing that maybe to them the message is, I delivered were inadequate because I wasn't memorizing everything. But I got to tell you, I've discovered that God made me the way I am. I mean, no doubt I can improve and I can work to be better like any of us can with our skills. But I'm not one of those other preachers. When I try to be, it doesn't really work out so well. So the fact is all of us are dependent upon God to take those words and through His Spirit to inspire and call people to respond. It's not about me. It's about what God will do through the words. And this is true of the greatest preachers to the least of all the preachers like me. God is the one who gave us our gifts and He simply calls us to be faithful with what He has given us. And many of us are trying to fit into somebody else's clothing or their story or their situation in order to better live our own life. But like David learned, we don't need all that. In fact, all that you presently have in your possession is all you need to sufficiently serve God. This principle reminds us of that time that Jesus fed 5,000 people with just a few loaves and some fish. You, you turn over to Matthew chapter 14. And we read, beginning verse 13, When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by the boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. 
And Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Well, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Or bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and he broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Amazing what God can do with the little that we think we have. When the disciples began to worry about how to feed all these people, Jesus just said, bring me what you have. We already have enough. Now, obviously, in that story, Jesus performed a miracle. But what if that's exactly what God is trying to teach us today through the story of David and Goliath? What if God is trying to help us see that the miraculous things he can do in and through your life when you simply bring him the ordinary, everyday stuff that you have to offer? David put aside all the extra stuff Saul gave him and grabbed up those five smooth stones and his sling. And the truth is, he only needed one. You know the story? The first one met its mark. He added them to the faith he had developed over time serving God and his family in the wilderness, and he walked out to do battle with Goliath. And through all the white noise, through all the doubt, through all the fear, and into victory, and all he had was all that God had already given him, and it's powerful to start believing you already have all you need. And there are a lot of us here today who feel trapped in an endless loop of white noise, all these voices telling us all these things. Too many voices, too many options, too many experiences of shame and regret and defeat for us to confidently move forward in all that God has for us. And if that sounds like you today, then I want to encourage you to do all that you can to shut out the other voices and simply focus on God. Try to have, like David did, a single focused mind on the power and majesty of God and try to become a person after the very heart of God. Others of you have simply forgotten all that God has done in your past to get you up to this point. And maybe you're sitting there in doubt. Maybe you've gotten a bad diagnosis recently or maybe things aren't exactly where you would want them to be and you're worried and you're scared. Listen, God has brought you here. And, and in all honesty, if you're in relationship with Christ, whether you live or die, friend, God's got you. you. You understand that, right? And, and if that's you, then please take some time to sit down. Maybe write out, you know, make a little journal of all the things you can think about that God has done in your life to bring you to this point. And that testimony can be your superpower. Don't ever forget that. 
And lastly, all of us need to stop looking at everything everyone else has access to, and we need to focus on what God's given us to work with. You have gifts that the Spirit of God decided you should have. Now, you need to be faithful in the use of those gifts. Maybe it's time to pick up those gifts and head into victory that God has for you. You already have all you need, and when you're faithful with it, God will bring you the victory. Father, we come to you today thanking you for this example of this young man, David. Uh, and Father, it, you know, I, I see so many young people in our church, and, and I'm overwhelmed by the example that they set. I, I am amazed at some of the great young people we have today. Father, I, I pray for Addie this morning. I, I know that you're going to do wonderful and amazing things through her. And, um, and I, I know her brothers, and they're fine young men, just like many other fine young people in our church. And, and they don't have to be old to be used by you. Um, you. You, Father, used David. He had such a great faith in you. And he took what you gave him, and he trusted you for the result. Now I pray that that's what we will do. Uh, that, that we will follow that example. And I pray that we will tune in to your voice and push the other noise out of the way. Help us to experience your grace, Father, and your love and your forgiveness. Some of us are weighed down by our past and our failures. Father, help us to just turn them over to you. And let's start today fresh and sound, putting our focus on you. Help us to know that you can give us victory and not live like we're defeated. Thank you for the promise that Jesus gives you. For our dads, Father, out there, I pray, God, that you would, uh, you would help all of us to be that example. You have blessed us in so many ways. If our focus will be on you and we, we will trust you, you can help us to be the dads that we need to be. And, Father, if anyone is here today and they're feeling overwhelmed I pray that your spirit will help them to overcome the doubt and the fear and the stress as we turn that over to you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.